Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Well, amen. amen. Sorry, it looked like y'all were about to sing another song. And I saw the, saw the order of worship, and I was wondering if I was mistaken or if I'd missed something. But as you can tell, this is the beginning of a new series. And you can tell, right? Stage is decorated, our beautiful Chrismon trees are up, uh, and that gives you a chance worshiping from home and to kind of see some decorations and think about this Advent season. As I mentioned last week in the lead up to the sermon, one of the things I wanted to make sure happened in this season is for us to move into a series that would be a little more encouraging than maybe kind of down and negative and difficult as Jeremiah at times was because Jeremiah was preaching messages of judgment. And this is a time of the year for us to rejoice, for us to experience joy. And, uh, and so I got to thinking about how we would do that. Advent is always a challenging time for pastors because the stories you know, the scriptures you know, and the sermons you've heard. And so how do we continue to be creative, unique, and inspiring as well as being encouraging and remaining biblical with that? So I got to thinking about an event that happened a few years back in my life before my wife and I had children and before we moved to Wilkesboro. We uh, had joined a Sunday school class at the church where we were, I was on staff. We were enjoying company of that Sunday school class, having a Sunday school class get together around the Christmas holidays. And in that get-together, they were playing some games. And one of the games that came up that was being played that night was Christmas Carol Pictionary. They decided that night that they were going to play guys versus gals. Well, uh, that was uh, a mistake for us guys. Uh, uh, The gal side had about five choir members and my wife. And my wife, you've heard her sing, but you have no idea how much music she knows. She never forgets a song. She never forgets a hymn. She could sing a hymn right now that she hasn't heard in 15 years. And so the guys just got absolutely wasted in that Christmas Carol Pictionary game. And I remember one of the hymns that came across, one of the, one of the carols that came across, I'd never heard of before. Lo, how a rose air blooming. And it came up, and they got it, and they got it like in three seconds. I'm like, how did, I don't even know that song exists, and you get it. It got me thinking about Christmas carols. There are a lot of things that we associate with Christmas. Trees, we associate lights, but if you're a part of a church, we associate carols with Christmas. They just go together. I remember as a child going with children's choirs and youth choirs to nursing homes and people's houses and singing Christmas carols. I've sung Christmas carols. You have too. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks through this Advent season is we're going to take a Christmas carol a Sunday and we're going to unpack it. We'll talk a little bit about its story And we'll use scripture that either it was developed from, the carol was, or that it is highlighted in the theme of the song. And the first one is the last song that we just sang. You'll sing it again at invitation. O come, O come, Emmanuel. A beautiful, beautiful Christmas carol. What you may not know is that it dates back to the 8th century A.D. So it is 1,200 plus years old. 
One of the oldest Christmas carols that we sing on a regular basis. Uh, It was written probably by a monk. Uh, It was a Latin chant. And believe me, it has way more verses than we just sang for you. There are like 15 or 20 different verses that it it came along with. Uh, There's no way we could sing all of those. No way we could remember them all. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, Latin chant. Now, the reason it's known to us is because in the 1800s, a gentleman by the name of John Mason Neal. He served as an Anglican priest. He went to Cambridge in, uh, in London and studied. This man was brilliant. He could write and read and speak in more than 20 different languages. Brilliant in the fields of theology and philosophy. Uh, almost too brilliant, actually. He intimidated some of, his, some of the fellow faculty there. He intimidated some of the other ministers there. So instead of putting him in a prominent ministry in the Anglican church, he was sent to the Madeira Islands off the coast of Africa. Basically said, this guy scares us because he's so bright. Put him there. While he was there serving as an Anglican priest, he started orphanages and refugee homes and ministered in the community. And he had time to study. In his studies, he was reading through a a book entitled the Saltorium Cantonium, which is in Latin. And it was something that in that book he came across, O come, O come, Emmanuel, in a Latin chant. And he translated it into English. And they used the traditional Vinnie Emmanuel, the, 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 uh, the chorus, the music arrangement that's with that. And so, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel began to rise in popularity in both Europe and the Americas over the years. It's an intensely biblical hymn. In fact, Ace Collins in his book, Stories Behind the Best Loved Christmas Music, he said, so the story of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is really a condensed study of the Bible's view of the Messiah, who he was, what he represented, and why he had come to earth. And so what we're going to do, we're going to unpack this Christmas carol from the pages of Scripture. And really, if you think about it, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it is an invitation. It's as if you're singing a prayer to the Lord, inviting Him to be a part of not only what we're experiencing, but to deal with what we can't address and what we can't solve in our own life, in our own lives. And so we're going to treat this as a prayer. We're going to look at three reasons why we can pray and how we can pray as referenced in some of the beautiful uh, uh, verses of this text and also the verses of Scripture. Here's the first reason we can pray. We can pray because God has kept His promises. The very first stanza that we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. It's a direct quote almost uh, from a book that we ought to be relatively familiar with, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 10 reads this, Then fear not, O Jacob my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Jeremiah 31, 11 reads this, For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands 
too strong for him. We could go on and read other places in the Old Testament where there is this concept of God ransoming and rescuing his people from exile when he had sent them away. So we can pray because God kept his promises. What do I mean by that? Well, God did what he said he would do. If we, we think back to Jeremiah's series. Jeremiah preached over and over again about what needed to happen for the people of God not to suffer judgment and destruction. He told them that they needed to turn from their idolatry, that they needed to abandon their perversity, that they needed to come back to God's Word and be faithful. And what did the people of Israel, the people of Judah, the kings do over and over again? We've talked about it almost week after week. They rejected the invitation to turn back to God. They didn't repent. They didn't bow their knee. They didn't humble themselves before God. And so like we looked at just last week, Zedekiah the king, when he rebelled that final time, God sent the Babylonian armies, Jerusalem was destroyed, the people of Israel were judged, and they went into exile. But I want to tell you, that's not the end of the story. In many cases, if you go back and look in the annals of history, when a kingdom, an empire, would invade another kingdom and wipe out a city and destroy its temple and burn its, its, its buildings to the ground and take away its people, you wouldn't hear anything else about it. In fact, that happened to the city of Babylon. And the city of Babylon has yet to be rebuilt from the last time that it was utterly destroyed. Yet, you could get on a plane. I'm not sure you'd want to right now. But you could get on a plane and you could fly to Jerusalem. It still exists. Why does it still exist? Because here's the truth of this promise that is pictured in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. The Lord did come back and He did return and He did restore His people from exile. Seventy years after they were sent to Babylon... God raised up a king, Cyrus, and that king Cyrus from Persia sent the people of Israel back to to Jerusalem. He said, you can go home. Not only can you go home, you can go home with all the stuff that we took from you. He gave them back their instruments of worship, gold and silver and bronze elements of worship that had been taken from the temple. He gave them back to them. He sent them back and told them, rebuild your city, rebuild your temple, begin your worship of God. That doesn't happen in the annals of history. Except it did happen. Because God is the one who's in control and God is the one who's sovereign. Let me give you an aside here. This really isn't a part of the sermon, but it's encouraging for us nonetheless. If God can work through Nebuchadnezzar to judge and Cyrus to send his people back, do you not think that God can work through whatever happens in a presidential election and the chaos that has ensued since then? Listen, one thing that we as Christians ought to be able to do is look back at history and see how God has exhibited His sovereignty over and over and over and over again. He can even use terrible kings like Herod and Pilate in the day and age in which Jesus existed to accomplish His purpose of Jesus dying on the cross. God is sovereign. There's not a thing going on in our world that He's not in control of. He is a God who keeps His promises. And let me tell you something, folks. When you pray, when you bow your knee to a God who's in control, He hears. He listens. He loves. He cares. This hymn to me brings home something in my life that I think we all need to grasp deeply. If we can invite God to come back, O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel, if we can invite God to do that in in praise or in prayer or acknowledge that God has done that, then do you not think there's anything in your prayer life 
that you can't bring before the Lord? There are many of you watching and participating in worship where you have something going on in your life that is a big deal, that's difficult, that's challenging. You know, we're, we're all going through a period of isolation and difficulty. This pandemic's lasted far longer than I thought it would, and, and it's been far more uh, lengthy and depressing and distressing than I ever thought it would be. But, but let me just say this, uh, of all people, the things we're going through today are not quite as bad as they could be in other places and in other situations. I mean, we haven't lost our homes We haven't been exiled from the place in which we grew up. We haven't had everything that we worked for destroyed. We haven't been sent as refugees and captives to another land. That's what the people of Israel went through and God stepped in and brought them back. Folks, let me tell you something. The difficulty you're going through, it's not minimal. It's not little. I don't mean to minimize it or or to make it small. I mean, we can bring it before God. We can talk to God about it. We can carry our burdens before Him. And too often what we do, we carry them on our shoulders and we spread them from our lips in way of complaint and in way of frustration. And it doesn't do any good. Why? Because we're talking about how things deal affect affect us rather than bringing them before God in prayer. We can pray because God is a God who keeps His promises. Folks, you can take your burden and bring it before the Lord. You can bow your knee before God in humility and surrender. And you know what God promises that He will do? Promises that He'll hear you. He promises that He'll listen. He promises that He'll act, that He'll work in your situation and in your circumstance. We can pray because God is God who keeps His promises. Here's another reason we pray. We pray because Jesus is Emmanuel who came at the first advent. The very first line of the song says, O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's taken from several different scripture verses. Uh, Eddie read uh, one of those, Isaiah 7, 14. It's quoted in Matthew 1.23 where uh, the, the scripture says, Matthew affirms that this prophecy, the prophecy is of Isaiah has been fulfilled. It's actually stated in one sense in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31.11, a verse we didn't read. It says this, For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. For I am with you is simply the claim that God is with us. Emmanuel, that's what it means. God with us. We pray because Jesus is Emmanuel who came at the first advent. Listen, Jesus did not... Is that me? Jesus is not someone who is ignoring us. Jesus is not someone who is separate from us. Jesus is someone who came down. Now, now I want you to grasp this. When when God rescued His people from exile, when He brought them back, He fixed their physical situation. He solved their location, their geographical problem. They were in Babylon. They needed to be in Jerusalem to bring them back from exile. But that didn't really solve their ultimate problems. Because their problem wasn't necessarily that they needed to live in Jerusalem rather than Babylon. Their problem wasn't necessarily that they needed to uh, sacrifice at the temple rather than sacrifice in Babylon. That wasn't their problem. Their problem wasn't even that they were separated from the priesthood or they didn't have a king. Those were only symptoms of the problem. Their problem was that they couldn't earn a right to be in God's presence based on what they could do. 
They couldn't go to God. Scripture is not a book about where God invites us to come to Him. God never says to us in Scripture, you come make it to heaven and I'll let you in. You do good enough and I will accept you. You behave in a certain way and I'll be happy with you. That's not what Scripture teaches at all. Scripture is not about us going to God. Scripture is always about God coming down to us. Just as a test, if you want to test me on this, go back to the book of Genesis and read how many times in the book of Genesis God comes down. God comes down and talks with Adam and Eve. God comes down at Babylon. God comes down to Abraham. God comes down to look at the wickedness that's in the world when he destroyed the world through Noah. Over and over again, God invites himself to come down into our situation and into our midst and solve the problem that we can't solve. And that is most poignantly expressed in this season that we celebrate at Advent, because Jesus did not sit up in heaven waiting on someone else to be righteous. He came down to be with us, to step into our human experience, to step into a sinful, wicked world and feel the pain of separation and isolation and to feel the pain of being put on a pedestal only to have that pedestal knocked down and destroyed and Him hung on a cross. He stepped into our situation to be God with us. He invaded our circumstances. He changed the, the, the equation because we needed that. See, the problem with the people of Israel is the problem with us. You and I can never be good enough. You and I can never be righteous enough. You and I can never be holy enough. You and I can never go back to that Old Testament law or even Jesus' restatement of that law in the Sermon on the Mount. We can never go back to that and live according to God's righteousness. We can't be good enough. So what did God do? He sent Jesus to do what we couldn't do, to take our place, to be our Emmanuel, to be God with us. Now, some of you grasp that. You know that. That's, that's not news to you. You've been at Wilkesboro Baptist and listening to me preach and listening to others preach for plenty of years. And you know that Christmas is the time we celebrate Jesus the Emmanuel because He came to save us from our sins. And by the way, there's nothing more important that, that we grasp than we grasp that we need salvation from our sins and we can enter into eternal life. But some of you have kind of lost the sense of relationship or presence with the God who came to be with us. Folks, let me tell you something. When Jesus said, or when God promises that Jesus came to be our Emmanuel, and when He came to walk on planet Earth, He didn't just mean that in a historic sense, that He came to do that 2,000 years ago. He did do that 2,000 years ago. He did walk planet earth. He did die on a cross. He did rise from the dead. But he didn't just do that. And that was it. He did all of that. And then he resides still with his people. When he says, when the scripture says, Jesus came to be our Emmanuel, he came to dwell within us. Folks, let me share something with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, ask Him to forgive you of your sins, God put His Holy Spirit inside you. God dwells with you wherever you are, whatever is going on, no matter the situation or the circumstance, no matter the frustration, 
no matter the difficulty, no matter the challenge, no matter the sin, no, no matter the, 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 the geographical location, Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, is dwelling within you if you're a follower of His. Some of you feel really lonely. This is, this is a weird year, by the way. I mean, celebrate Thanksgiving with, with only those in your household. I mean, it's just weird. It's just, it's just, who would have ever thought that we'd be in that scenario? And some of you, that means you're going to spend the holiday season essentially by yourself. Not going to be a lot of people visiting your house. You're not going to be going to a lot of, uh, to the house full of family members and friends. Maybe legitimately, maybe out of concern, maybe out of safety, all those things. I'm trying to discount that. Here's what I'm telling you. You're not really alone though if you have Jesus. You're not. I'm not saying it's always easy to hear Him. I'm going to be honest with you, make a confession to you as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus. There are sometimes I'm so distracted that I'm not sure I can ever hear Jesus. And it's not His fault. It's not because He's not talking. It's because I'm, I'm so distracted. Sometimes we're, we're so, um, we, we've kind of numbed our brain. Uh, maybe through too much media, maybe through too much activity. And, and so it's not that we're so distracted we can't hear Him. It's so that our, our brain's so numb that we can't hear Him. But I'm going to tell you something. If you'll pause in your life long enough to read His Word and to pray, you may not feel what you felt when you were saved. It may not be that drastic. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is with you. Jesus will listen to you. You can talk to Him. You can share your concerns with Him. And He has never failed, ever failed, to come through and intervene in my life. Maybe not by answering the situation or solving the problem that I bring to Him. It's certainly not the way I suggest to Him. I mean, you can bring a lot of problems to Jesus and have your solution and share your solution with Him. He doesn't have to listen. He does things His own way, not our way. But I'm going to tell you something. He has never failed to hear He's never failed to be with me. He has never failed to give me peace and give me strength and give me guidance. Never failed. Do you know why? Because He is a God who keeps His promises. We can pray because He's a God who keeps His promises. And we can pray because Jesus is Emmanuel who came to indwell us that we may know Him forever. Let me give you a third reason we can pray. We can pray because Emmanuel will come again. Emmanuel will come again. In one of the verses that we didn't sing, the original writer of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel penned these words. He wrote, O come, thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. That is a, almost a direct quote from Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two, where Scripture reads this, And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut. He shall shut, and none shall open. It's a reference to the fact that Jesus has and Jesus holds the keys. Jesus is the one that opens the door to heaven. It's not a door that you and I can kick open. It's not a door that you and I can, can make open on our own. Jesus is the only one that can open the door to heaven. Why is that? Well, because heaven is where God dwells. And God dwells in a place of absolute, complete holiness. There's no 
uh, sinfulness, there's no wickedness, there's no perversity, there's no rebellion in heaven. It doesn't exist there because it's where God is. The only things that can be where God is are things that are absolutely perfect, absolutely holy, and absolutely righteous. And the problem with that for us as humans is the fact that if I'm not righteous enough and good enough and holy enough, I can't access heaven. I can't go into that place where the only the holiness of God is. But God knew that. He knew that I couldn't access that. And He knew that you couldn't. He knew that nobody was good enough to be able to do that. So He sent Jesus to do what we couldn't do. And figuratively speaking, Jesus has the keys to heaven. He's the one that can open the door and let us into a place that is full of eternal and glorious perfection. Isn't that good news? I mean, I mean home, is, home, is, home is what the holidays are kind of all about. I mean, there are Christmas songs about that. I'll be home at Christmas if, if only in my dreams. I mean, I mean, think about it. All my greatest memories, probably most of your greatest memories, about the holidays happened in church or happened at home. They happened with friends. They happened with family. They happened with, with kids opening presents. Or they happened with, with family singing together. Or, or any number of things. Food is almost always a part of my greatest memories of holiday seasons. They happened at home. And, and like I have mentioned before, home this year for the holidays is going to be a little bit different. Even, even if you're able to gather with your kind of close family. I mean, how many of you are going to wear masks when you're not eating? I don't know. I'm not saying you have to. I'm not trying to dig. But I mean, it's weird. But even if you're not wearing a mask, you're going to be thinking about it. You can probably have one in the car. Or like me, you have like three in the car and a couple in your office and several in your home. So you've always got one. with. I mean, it's just different. It's just a different year. It's weird. Let me tell you this, that's because this is not our home. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy the home that we have here and what God's blessed us with and what He's given to us. We can and we should and we ought to. But if it's weird this year because it's a pandemic, there'll be something next year to make it weird. There'll be something next year to make it disappointing. There should be something next year to make it difficult. Some of you, the difficulty is not the circumstance per se. The fact we're in a pandemic. Some of you, it's because that husband or wife that you spent all those years with is no longer there with you at Christmas. For some, it's going to be because they can't celebrate with mom or with dad. Because this is the year that mom or dad went on to be with Jesus. And so even if the environment is sort of the same, even if the location is sort of the same, even if the food is sort of the same, the company's not. Because that person that would always read the Christmas story, or that person that would always complain about the littlest thing, and you just knew it, you knew what was going to happen, or that person that would always bring a joy, because that's who they were, they're not there this year. It's just going to be different. Here's what I want to tell you, folks. This is not our home. This is not what it's all about. What's going to happen over the next six weeks in your life or in my life could be wonderful, it could be difficult, but this is not what it's all about. What it's all about is going to heaven and being with Jesus in a permanent place of joy 
in a place where we are no longer separated from the one who loves us and cares for us forever. In a place where we never have to worry about it being weird again. We never have to worry about it being sinful again. We never have to worry about it being broken again because in that place in heaven, it will never be broken. It will never be wrong. It will never be flawed. We'll be with Jesus in a perfect relationship forever and forever. So one of the things that this hymn teaches us, it teaches us to think about the heavenly home that we have. Let me illustrate it this way. How can we go to that heavenly home? When my wife and I uh, had been married a couple of years, we bought our first home. We built a modular house, kind of the end of a small development in Zirconia, North Carolina. If you don't know where that is, it's okay. Most people don't. It's a tiny little area outside of Hendersonville, North Carolina. And because it was a modular home, uh, it, the doors didn't work exactly like they were supposed to. Okay, They were a little bit looser than I was comfortable with, which turned out to be not a terrible thing in certain situations because I have a tremendously bad habit of walking out the door without my keys. I've done that on more occasions than I would, be, I would like to admit. And the first time I did that in our home in Zirconia, North Carolina, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get in? What am I going to do? I don't have an extra key. I didn't. It's before I remembered that it was smart to set aside a key outside somewhere. You do, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I went and looked at the windows and, you know, tried to get in the windows, couldn't do that. And I went to the back door and, and I heard, I'd heard that you can take a credit card and if you slide it just right in a kind of a loose door, you can pop the door latch and open the door. And you know what? I pulled a credit card out. And I was able to do that. I popped the back door open and was able to get in and out. I'd like to tell you that I only had to do that once. I think I had to do that like three or four times. Well, we moved here to Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And uh, the house that we bought has deadbolts. So you can forget being able to use a credit card to pop a door open. I guess you can break into a house with like a crowbar or something, but then you got to pay to repair all that kind of stuff. The only door that doesn't have a deadbolt is the one in our garage. And it's better made than the one that was in, uh, in Hendersonville, in Zirconia, North Carolina. I've tried several times because, again, I didn't, wasn't wise enough to put a key where I could get to it in the garage or outside the house. Locked myself out of the house in the garage, waiting in the cold, Thankfully, I had my phone with me so I could call my wife and tell me my situation. But I couldn't break into the house in, 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 in Wilkesboro. No way. I can't, can't pop that door open. And you know, here's, here's, a good, here's a good illustration. I needed the key to get in the house. I want to tell you something, folks. You can't break into heaven. There's no way that you can cheat your way into a relationship with God or into eternal life. Some of you in the room or some of you are watching, you're, you're thinking that, that because your mom and dad took you to church when you were little, that, that you've got a pathway into heaven. Or you're thinking that because at some point in your past you walked an aisle and, and you, you said something like, you know, I, I want to go to heaven when I die. And you think that just because you did that, you're going to be okay. And you're going to get your way into heaven. Let me tell you something. The only way that you get into heaven is if Jesus opens 
the door to heaven and brings you in. And the only way that happens is if you have confessed your sins, repented of your unrighteousness, and believed that Jesus and Jesus alone can forgive you and cleanse you and take you to be with Him forever. It's not a matter of an outward ritual such as baptism or walking an aisle. It's not a matter of even a deliberate prayer. That's an important aspect of us talking to God. But those things in and of themselves are not salvation. The only thing that can bring us into eternal life is Jesus. The only person that can make sure that we're clean and that we're holy is Jesus. And to receive the salvation that Jesus offers, you have to admit that you're a sinner, to believe on Him as the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead. You have to commit your life to following Him as Lord. And if you'll do that, and if you'll believe in Him, and if you'll trust in Him, you know what Jesus will do? He'll change you from the inside out. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll come in and indwell you like we've been talking about. And when that day comes, when He returns or when you die, He will open the door to heaven and let you in because he's the one who has the key. Close with this thought. Book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20. John issues another prayer. Using very similar language, he says, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that's a prayer maybe we ought to be praying a little more often. Come quickly. Jesus came the first time. First time He came was to give us the opportunity to enter into a relationship with Him and be forgiven. Folks, when He comes the second time, He's coming to take over, to be Lord, to be Savior. And boy, do we need that in our world. We need one who's absolutely and utterly righteous to rule this wicked place and to set the wrong things right and to make the unholy things holy and to change all that's going on around us. And that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that we're about to sing again, that invitation, that prayer that we're about to pray really moves us to this place where we can look at our Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I know you're with me. Thank you. I know you kept your promises, so I'm going to keep praying. And I know you're coming back, so I'm going to keep asking you to come back. And I'm going to look forward to that, and I'm going to pray for that, and I'm going to pray for you to intervene in our world. Because you know what the greatest lesson of Christmas is? Is that when we needed a Savior the most, God did the only thing that would work. He sent Jesus. That's what Christmas tells us. And that He came, and that He died on a cross, and that He rescued you and me, means that He's going to come back again. And we can pray for that, and we can long for that, and we can look forward to our heavenly home. Stand with me. As we close our worship service by singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Maybe you'd like to trust Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe you're watching and you'd like to know how you can respond. Please message us. Use the Facebook feed. Send us an email, info at wilkesboroughbaptistchurch.org. Let us know what's going on. We'd love nothing more than to tell you and show you how you can trust Jesus to be your Savior and be guaranteed of a heavenly home. Our Father, we come to you in this time and we are grateful for this Advent season that reminds us that you, Lord Jesus, are the one who solved our sin problems. You came to save us from our unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, that you've done that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to indwell people that are sinners like me and like those in the room. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're coming back again. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd remind us that you're the one with the key to the door of heaven. I pray that you'd remind us of that, not only for those who are listening, but Father, for those that we're burdened about that need to know Jesus. Remind us that it's only through your Son and your Holy Spirit that that person can be brought to faith in Christ. Lord, I pray for them, even in this moment, that we would not lose heart, that we would not stop begging you for their salvation, that we would not stop sharing the good news. And Lord, that those individuals would come to faith in you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that those of us that are listening and, and paying attention would remember, Lord, that you're with us, would count on you, would depend on you in the loneliness and the isolation and the frustration and the difficulty we're going through. Remind us, Lord God, that you've not left us and you never will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 